Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, January 23rd, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So before we get rolling this week, I, I kind of want to just put out a, a small plea um, for our listeners. We really need your help just rating and reviewing this show. So if you, you know, if you haven't done that yet, please do. And I know on Apple Podcasts, it's really easy to write a review. And I think on some of the other platforms, at minimum, you can rate us. I know we've got a ton of ratings on Spotify, for example. It's pretty easy to do. So please do that. I mean, this is the best way for other people to discover this podcast. And if you're not, don't have time to do that, maybe just tell anyone um, that, you know, this podcast is the best way to waste time if you're an MBA applicant <laughs> and looking to avoid, <laughs> avoid writing your essays or something. Um, or it's a good way to stay sane instead of checking Livewire or your inbox for invites to interviews, which I know many of our listeners are probably <laughs> waiting on interview invitations at this point. So anyway, that's it. I just wanted to make that plea because we, we definitely need, need help in that domain. Um, but other than that, Alex, interview season is fully upon us now. I think most of the big deadlines have passed for applying and people are waiting and so, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Like, are you, um, any advice you have for people who are waiting? Yeah, I mean, right now, even if you don't know if you, <clears throat> excuse me, even if you don't know um, if you got an interview invite, uh, which many, many candidates won't, there's no harm in starting that preparation process um, and, and, and so forth. So, um, yeah, I mean, we have the interview archive on clear admit which i think is the industry standard um sort of depository for all um interview questions across all the top programs so i would absolutely encourage folks to start looking at that uh, there are some schools sort of trickling out early interview invites um but but the sort of the flood of invites will still be you know a couple of weeks away so patience is is a virtue here but yeah. preparation too yeah definitely so yeah the interview archive is awesome there are literally thousands of reports in the interview archive um, where candidates have left their their notes on what they experienced when they went to interview so check that out and, and practice I really think it it's it's easy to kind of just look at the questions but it's a whole other level of preparation to start you know videoing yourself answering these questions or getting a friend to pepper you with some of these questions so yeah, work on it. And we do publish a set of interview guides. They're paid products, so I'm going to just be upfront about that, but they're not very expensive and, and they have all the questions you would expect from a top school yeah. um, with lots of inside kind of info on how to get ready. So check that out. Um, I, I, I would just add two things, Graham. Yeah, sure. You can't over-prepare Right. But do not script your answers. Yes. I've, <laughs> there does seem to be, I've run into more than one candidate over the years who makes a... Uh, like a, a sheet where they're like literally have written out their answers to each of the key questions they expect to get that, that never works. You got a bullet point yeah. and then, you know, really be genuine. Right. So, and that's, that's hard. So it takes preparation, uh, over on, the, <laughs> over on the website, Alex, we did an admissions tip on something called letters of support. These are kind of recommendations or informal recommendations that, um, some schools allow candidates um, to have, uh, it's basically, you know, you get a current student or a recent grad or somebody affiliated to the school to drop a letter directly to the admissions committee on your behalf. Usually they're about a page long. Um, read the admissions tip if this is something that you're curious about. They can help. Um, and, you know, a lot of schools allow them. Some schools do not. So you got to kind of um, do your homework a little bit. But it is, um, it's another way uh, to kind of have someone support your candidacy and maybe increase your odds a little bit. So read that if you're interested. Uh, we also have, Alex, two schools that have weighed in with their employment stats for the class of 22. 
So I wanted to get into those numbers. We've got Cornell and Stanford this week. And since we've got a lot to get to, I'll just kind of zip through and ask for your take on this stuff. So I'll start with Cornell. Um, of the class uh, that were, there were 276 students in the class of 22, and 259 of them were looking for work. So that's like 94% of the class. So, so most people going to Johnson are looking for work. 97% had offers within three months of graduation. That's identical to last year. And 96% had accepted offers within three months of graduation. That's up one point uh, from 95% last year. Average salary, $155,000. That's up from $139,000. And the average bonus for um, Cornell was actually $38,000. Uh, and that's up a tiny bit from $37,000. So good numbers there. Um, I'm going to give you, Alex, the industry placements, and then I'll ask for your thoughts. We had 39% uh, of their class going into financial services. That's up 3% uh, from last year. They sent 30% into consulting, also up 3% from last year. They sent 15% into tech. That's down a couple percentage points. They uh, sent 5% into consumer products. That's uh, down as well, a percentage point. And they sent 3% into manufacturing, also down from 5% last year. Any quick thoughts on the industry placements for Cornell? Yeah, I mean, the numbers overall are impressive, um, but yeah, 155K, very good. Yeah. Um, financial services, 39%, doesn't surprise me. That is their niche. If, if You know, in terms of their, 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 their real core strength is, is certainly sort of prepping for investment banking and stuff. And I assume from a geographic standpoint, lots of folks are getting hired into New York City from, from Cornell. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and we did see tech fall a little bit, which is something yeah. we've seen consistently across the board. In terms of the regional stuff for them, they sent 50% of their graduates into the Northeast. Uh, that's actually just down one point from last year. They sent 16% out West. That's actually up a little bit from last year, uh, 3%. And then they sent 10% to the Midwest. They sent 6% to the Mid-Atlantic and 6% to the Southwest. Those numbers are not really too different from last year. So um, yeah, kind of what you would expect, I guess, there, right? Yeah, yeah, very yeah. good. Yeah, so moving on, we got Stanford now. And Stanford, this is really interesting. There are 462 students in the class of 22 at Stanford, and only 309 of them were seeking employment. So that's 67% seeking employment. Now, of that group that was not looking, uh, I learned that from the report that 19% were starting their own venture. 7% uh, were sponsored, and 3% were actually continuing with like a joint degree. And then there's that doesn't quite add up, so there must be something else, some other category, maybe did not report or, or whatever, right? But So that just gives you the breakdown. Now, focusing in on the folks that were looking for jobs, that 67% of that group, 93% had offers within three months of graduation. That's down a bit. It was 96% last year. And then 84% accepted offers within three months. And that's also down from 91%. This is the eighth year in a row where Stanford had increasing average salaries. So the median salary for the class was $175,000. That's up from 158. They didn't give the average signing bonus. But Alex, I did want to pause here and ask you a question. I'm wondering, you know, we just looked at the Cornell numbers and I'm wondering, you know, Stanford Obviously, big big starting salary, um, lots of people starting their own businesses and stuff. But what do you make of this fact that you know only eighty four percent had accepted an offer in three months versus you know at Cornell we have like what was it ninety six percent had accepted? Any what do you make of that? 
Yeah, maybe they're wearing several offers. I mean, that's yeah. You often see that sort of statistic at the very, very top programs. That number of offers accepted sort of dropped off a little mm-hmm. bit as they go through that um, negotiation. I think you're right. Um, yeah. And 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 they're going to be more risk tolerant, right? They're going to be they're going to be really looking out for that more ideal opportunity coming out of Stanford. So the the whole process of accepting. A position can be more drawn out i think anyway yeah i think you're spot on i mean i think that's what they're doing they're negotiating they're looking for you know and they feel comfortable with that uncertainty you know so that's fine uh let's get in quickly to the industry and regional placements for stanford so industry wise 33 percent went into finance that's identical to last year in terms of a percentage 30 percent went into technology that's up one percent consulting is actually down to 15 percent um it was 18 percent last year uh, 5% into healthcare and 5% into media and entertainment. Those are both really similar to last year. Um, for the geography, 58% of Stanford grads stayed on the West Coast. That's up from 46%. They did send 26% to the Northeast. That's also up from 22%. So a little bit more um, kind of coastal uh, favoritism here. Uh, they sent 3% to the Midwest. That's down from 7%. They sent 3% to the Mid-Atlantic, 3% Southwest, and 2% to the South. Those are all virtually unchanged. And 4% of Stanford graduates went and worked overseas. So any thoughts on these kind of regional or the industry kind of placements with Stanford? Yeah, in terms of the industry placements, some might be surprised at the um, high percentage for financial services. Mm -hmm. Um, 33% is relatively high compared to other peer schools, not compared to um, Cornell Johnson, but other peer schools. But what we also need to recognize is a lot of that is on the buy side. Yeah, most of it. Um, so if you if we could break that down further and look at VC, private equity, and so forth, that would be a, a large proportion. So I would imagine more a higher percentage of folks, for example, from Cornell, will be going into investment banking than those from Stanford going into investment banking. Yeah. Um, as an example, and they've held steady with tech, which what we've seen is the West Coast schools have held steady with tech. All other schools appear to have seen that tech number shrink. Yeah, agreed. And one thing that jumps out at me too is, you know, only 11% of those um, folks captured in these figures are working in like the Midwest or the Southwest or South or Mid-Atlantic. So it's yeah. really, it's clustered heavily at West Coast or Northeast and then a little bit international too, right? But And I think Stanford actually has scholarships to try to address that imbalance. Yeah. It's obviously a challenge for them, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. a challenge for all the schools because the most appealing places are, are on the coasts. Yeah. It's either the Northeast, around New York City, Boston, mm-hmm. uh, I'll throw in Philadelphia there just for you, Grant, <laughs> and West Coast Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, so, you know, you were talking about the number of people who go into like buy side stuff. And I, I just want to mention our colleague Elliot, you know, helps to author a series of kind of career oriented articles every year where he really digs into some of the placement stats. And I know last year he did one about finance and and which schools, you know, what does it mean? You know, a school can send 39% into financial services or 33% in the cases of Cornell and, and Stanford. But it's important to look at what those jobs are because there's a whole variety of jobs in financial services from you know um, asset management to investment banking to venture capital, right? So that I think he's going to, um, Elliot's going to be working on you know some articles in that series. And actually he just published 
the first article in the series, which um, is a bit of a, you know, kind of a, an editorial piece about these declines in tech hiring and whether or not they are the kind of canary in a coal mine for placements that we're going to see this coming year, you know, or is, is the decline in tech a signal that, you know, banking, consulting, all these other domains may start to fall off a little bit too. Um, not to say that the MBA is, you know, not a great investment still, but it'll just be interesting to see what happens um, going forward. So that article is live on the site. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, Alex. I, I looked at it, obviously, through the drafting um, process. But I mean, like like you, I'm really curious to see. Well, quite frankly, I'm quite curious to see what's currently happening on campus with this, this yes. you know, the, the, the first years, their internship opportunities, as well as the, the second years recruiting. Because, I mean, clearly, there's going to be some significant impact. We've gone over the last month or, or six weeks of um, Wiretap's podcasts, extolling the terrific numbers um, coming out of career management at all the top schools. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking they might be a little bit nervous this season. Yeah, that's my understanding, you know, that it's going to be a harder, um, this, you know, this past year was yeah. probably the best year ever for MBA hiring, arguably. Most schools are posting record you know, record salary numbers, everything. So I think that's going to come down a little bit. It's going to have to. Um, so in any event, um, other than that, before we get into our candidates for this week, I wanted to remind everyone you can write to us at info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps and we will write you back if you have questions. Um, we also have an event coming up. The first one is uh, on February 1st. So in a little more than a week's time uh, for deferred enrollment. And that event's going to feature Berkeley, Tepper, Wharton, UVA, Darden, and Yale. We're going to sit down with admissions representatives, and I'm going to pepper them with questions about uh, how you get into a deferred enrollment program and what the application process is like. So join us for that. You can sign up at bit.ly forward slash defer23. That's D-E-F-E-R, the number two, the number three. Uh, Alex, anything else on your mind before we talk candidates this week? Let's kick on. All right. So this is Wiretap's candidate number one. So you've picked uh, an apply wire entry, Alex, and this candidate is not starting business school or aiming to start until 2024. So they're kind of an early bird. They have 10 schools on their target list, and those schools are Tuck, Georgetown, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Notre Dame, Chicago Booth, Wharton, Darden, and Yale. This candidate is an Air Force officer, and they're hoping to get into consulting or maybe some nonprofit social impact work after business school. They haven't taken the GMAT, but they took a cold uh, you know, practice test um, and they got a 670 on that. So now they're gonna start studying and, and see what they can do there. Their GPA is a 3.04. I believe that they um, studied, it was like engineering maybe, and oh yeah, electrical engineering and computer engineering. It's a dual <laughs> degree. Um, they are located in Texas. They'd love to land either on the East Coast or maybe in Texas um, or San Diego, or they go to Arkansas as well in terms of post-MBA locations. They're 27, year old, uh, 27 years old, and this is a male. Um, and they gave us a lot of interesting details about their background in terms of, you know, their career involved a couple of years as a cyber researcher at the NSA. Um, they did like, you know, radar imagery analysis. They, they did a couple of years as a deputy flight commander. They managed contracts for the government. Um, they also, in the background, were running a small business flipping houses. So they've done a lot of different things. And I'll let you maybe expand on that as we talk about this candidate. But one of their questions was, 
what about this GPA? Does it preclude them from an M7 MBA, um, that 3.04? Is that a, a non-starter? And what do you think they're going to need with respect to the GMAT to sort of, you know, put, put forth a strong candidacy? Yeah, I mean, frankly, I'd love this candidate in terms of what they've done, you know, and, and their goals. I mean, we're, we're fighting an information war um, out there, mm. um, you know, whether it's culture wars in the United States, but around the world. I mean, it's crazy, Graham. And I, as you know, I'm writing, drafting this essay on disinformation. And actually, one of our listeners has been really helpful in the editing process. Awesome. Um, but as I read this person's profile, I was thinking, well, we need these skills um, in, in, in terms of, you know, the, the combination of, of, of their, their experience, um, you know, in, in sort of cyber warfare or, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, as a cyber researcher and, and so forth, married that with a top MBA. Um, you got to think that there's some really interesting opportunities um, um, going forward. This is an area of real national security um, and, and, and real importance, I think. Anyway, so <laughs> all that aside, I really love um, the opportunities here. So they, they did a GMAT 670 cold, so prep as hard as they can, leave themselves enough time for that GMAT retake and get that 730 750 score or whatever which will help mitigate the 3.04 gpa um but i mean let's talk about that 3.04 gpa for a minute it is um considerably below the median for m7 programs that they're targeting right i recognize that but they're electrical engineer um computer engineering so there's going to be some um, forgiveness there and some not all um, some we know that's um, you know these are very challenging degrees um, and it looks like they did a lot of interesting research they were they they were honorable mention and a recipient of a NASA grant and so forth they represented their um, school's chapter of IEEE um, etc so they were fully engaged and involved they did research and so on and so forth so i think there's going to be a little bit of um, leeway there there will be folks at, at m7 programs with a gpa less than 3.04 so um so i think they can um they they can sort of help highlight some of this other stuff um, but certainly blowing the gmat out of the ballpark would be the best way going forward in terms of what right. they can do. And they're applying next season, right? So, yeah. so they've got the time time to do that. So I think, frankly, Graham, if they can do that, um, yeah, there's so much opportunity for a candidate like this. Yeah, the one thing that I will add um, to this is that they mentioned, wow, you know, I'm, I'm starting to take a prep course and, you know, got the 670 cold and I'm sure, you know, I'm going to break 700. And, and I was thinking the goal should probably be to break the average at the schools that they desire to attend, right? So I, if I were them, I would start, try to like aim for 730 because frankly, I mean, if you were to say to me, someone's got a 3.04, what's the best GMAT score that'll couple with that to help address the low GPA and, and increase their chances of getting into an M7 program, I would be like, okay, north of the average, right? So 750 or something, right? So so I would love for them to get a good score. I do think because of their background, like you say, they have a lot going for them. So, you know, it just, it's a really, uh, they gave us a lot of details on the site. And and I think, 
yeah, th- there's a lot to like here, as you say. But I would I would aim high on that GMAT score because it will only help them, and and they have time, like you point out. So, yeah. And I did want to if, if they come, if they come back with a seven twenty, should they be retaking it? Uh. Yeah, I mean, if they want to go to, you know, some of these schools on their list that have averages above that, like Harvard, et cetera, I would say, yeah, they should retake yeah. it. I mean, most people take the test or a lot of people take the test more than once. So I would, yeah. I would give myself two tries to get it up there, you know, in terms of the average and things. So, and I, w- and I would say, again, if the issue is the lower GPA, which clearly this is the issue here, mm-hmm. every 10 point gain on the GMAT will make an impact. Right. Now, if the person had a 3.7 GPA or, or whatever, right, I wouldn't be so no. um, stressed <laughs> about an additional 10 points. But where they're at, yeah, every 10 points will matter. Yeah, agreed. The last thing I did want to mention is they, they left us a nice note. They said, thanks in advance for taking a look. I'm a longtime lurker on the site and listener to the podcast. So there you go. So hopefully they're tuned in, get some of this advice from us and uh, yeah, wish them all the luck. It's great that they're starting early. You know, that's yeah. always an amazing yeah. thing. All right, so let's move on, though, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So our second candidate this week is applying right now to start in the fall. Um, they've actually applied to six schools, and those schools are Berkeley, Harvard, Kellogg, Chicago Booth, UCLA Anderson, and Wharton. Uh, this candidate's been working, they've had a couple of different experiences. One of them was with the Big Four audit. I should mention this candidate, I believe, studied accounting and is a CPA. Uh, then they went into Big Four M&A advisory work and currently doing strategy and corporate development at a Fortune 10 company, so a big company. Uh, they would like to do consulting or maybe something a little different, they, which we'll get into in a second, uh, post-MBA. But for that short-term goal, if they're thinking consulting, they mentioned Bain, BCG, and McKinsey. They have a whopping 760 on the GMAT. Their GPA is a 3.23, and they have six years of work experience to date. This candidate is located in LA and would love to stay on the West Coast. And I want to just point out, they, they do specify in their note that they are using the MBA for a career pivot. Um, they'd love to do management consulting and work on, you know, projects that involve business transformation and innovation strategy. Eventually, they would like to leverage their time in consulting and transition into a strategy role at a gaming company. Um, gaming has always been a passion of mine and an industry that I've followed closely, and they would love to get into that field, right? So, so that's um. That's kind of the basics here. Alex, walk me through this. I mean, I, I think, you know, you had some back and forth with them. What do you make of someone like this and their, you know, how competitive are they in the second round here with these numbers, 763.23, coming out of a kind of fairly traditional kind of work experience background with Big Four? What do you make of this candidacy? Yeah, I mean, obviously the 760 really does stand out. Yes. Um, so, you, you know, no, no normal human being can get a 760 on the GMAT, so they're not <laughs> normal. <laughs> um, so so they've definitely got that going for them. You know, the GPA is okay. It's not you know, it is below average, right? So the 760 sure. will help mitigate that. They have a CPA and obviously they've got a strong accounting sort of profile. Um, so, you know, on, on that side of it, you know, big four accounting or, or um, an audit and so forth, that doesn't usually really stand out when you're targeting top, top programs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they've done some M&A advisory work and, and now, 
they're doing strategy and corporate development um, at, a, at a F10. So I think that's good, right? That shows really sort of good sort of career progression and so forth. So I like that. And then their goal to go into consulting to prepare them to jump into an industry they're passionate about, the gaming industry. Um, I can really buy into that. And, and they, they um, you know, as a hobby, I, I assume, they're, they're a gamer, right? Um, so mm-hmm. what I would have loved to have seen is that, sort of their gaming experience being a little bit more formalized if they were actually doing something um, whether it's setting up leagues or participating in esports or whatever that might sort of um, give it a little bit more sort of uh, there's a sort of a concrete sort of um, activity Mm -hmm. um, rather than simply playing games which i don't know exactly how involved they are um, but that would be something that would would sway me a little bit. I love the online gaming industry, much like our previous candidate. Um, it's an industry of high growth and high interest, um, yeah. and actually a little bit related to our previous candidate's industry. Um, but that's a whole nother story. But <laughs> but but yeah, I think you know having that as a focus, I think can can help, and they can support that through their um, sort of activity you know, their hobby activity of actually being a gamer. Um, they want to be on the West Coast um, in L.A., and I think that makes a lot of sense for gaming. Um, there's obviously a strong ecosystem there, right where they are in, in Los Angeles. I was a little curious they didn't have Marshall on their list of program um options i mean obviously they've got anderson so anderson and marshall if you want to be in la if you want to be in gaming i think they are two programs that should be close to the top of the list Graham. yeah it's interesting i think when you look at their list you know they have berkeley and ucla as their west coast options then they have chicago and kellogg and, and harvard and wharton so it's sort of like you know we often talk about how Berkeley is clearly a top 10 school and arguably could be lumped in with the M7 as like the eighth school or something. So they have this kind of very high end target list plus UCLA, which is more maybe top 16, right? But still, I I was kind of a little worried that is there any in kind of middle ground? And I, and I too was like, where is USC? Um, You know, Marshall's typically ranked, you know, top 20, but, but when you look at the numbers in terms of how many people they're sending into online gaming and and kind of media and all that stuff it's it's they're kind of one of the few schools that have a separate category for that or that it where, where right. it makes the, the kind of main categories that they're placing people in and and so you know it's a classic case where yeah is ucs is usc as highly ranked as chicago booth no um if you want to work in la and gaming uh, you know maybe the conversation starts to change a little i mean i obviously booth's a fantastic school so maybe it's not not the best example but it, there are schools that are quote higher ranked than usc where you wouldn't want to go if if you've got an offer at usc and you want to work in gaming that that's my point of view right. um, and so, and the alumni yeah. network in la has got to be fantastic if you sure. if you've gone to usc right yeah so i i think there there was that aspect and then you know so so for me it's like where's usc and also is there any middle ground here because they're aiming very high and i know you know with that gmat score they might think hey i gotta aim high i've got got this amazing score but as you point out the gpa is a little below average and my biggest fear with this candidate is, you know, are they going to get lumped in as, you know, kind of like they're coming from a, a big four kind of accounting audit background and, um, you know, and they're kind of a gamer and all these things suggest, you know, are they kind of one of these good with numbers and video games, but not with people, right? So that that's the stereotype that they risk kind of falling into. 
And, and so that's where it would be good. I, you know, it's unclear how strong the outside activities are. I mean, I, I think, you know, hanging out and playing video games with coworkers and friends, that's not, even though it, it, it's a nice thing that supports their career plan. I don't think it's a real feather in their cap in terms of like an outside activity that will stand out in the application process. So now granted, they did just run a half marathon and they do have, you know, some other things they've done, but I, yeah, I was just kind of, that, that was the, the thing I'm kind of worrying about here is, is this list a little top heavy and should it have USC? Now we're late in the game and maybe they would say, look, how can I, you know, but they could always apply in a third round, I guess, to a USC and, and see where the chips fall. Uh, so th those are my thoughts on this one, but obviously interesting. And I like the career plan. It just, yeah, I want to make sure there's enough substance on the extracurriculars and that this target list is the right list. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's very fair. And we'll see, right. They're going to know soon about whether they get interviews at some of these schools and, and, you know, they'll see how the chips are, are falling. So anyway, I do want to wish them the best of luck and thank them for their post. Uh, other than that, let's move on though, and talk about wiretaps candidate number three. So this is, as we've been doing the last couple of weeks, this is a decision wire entry that we're going to discuss. And it's a candidate who applied to Columbia, uh, MIT, Stanford, and Wharton. And they were accepted at Columbia, MIT, and Wharton. Uh, it looks like they were not admitted to Stanford. Uh, they're going to be starting school this fall. They would love to work in tech. They had a GMAT score of 760. This candidate's located in New York. And here's what they had to say. They said, I got no scholarship anywhere. Now, maybe they don't know yet about um, Columbia, because Columbia often announces that later. But what they're saying here is no, no scholarships yet. <laughs> um, they're hoping to come back to New York City post-grad to work in tech or potentially early stage venture capital. They indicate that they would like a bigger class size and alumni network. So they are mostly choosing between Wharton and Columbia, but they're very undecided between these two. They indicate no geographic constraints, but I'm currently based in New York and would like to maintain the network. So Alex, what do you do here? I mean, I, one of our, one of the people commenting said, I vote for Wharton. And then our colleague Elliot left a comment about um, Wharton maybe having an edge, but what's your take on this? Yeah. I mean, if you just look at pure, pure rankings and tiers as we do, then Wharton would sit above um, Columbia and Sloan and those two would be in the next tier. That, and it looks like they've made a decision that they would rather the larger um, class size and network. So they've sort of eliminated themselves, Sloan, from the, mm -hmm. from, 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 from the decision making. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, basically it's between Wharton and, and Columbia. Wharton sits in a tier above, um, just, you know, marginally. Um, they they want to be in New York City um, in in the longer run, but Wharton is a great feeder for New York City, as as, as you as we we well know. Yeah. Um, and the question is, do they want to? Well, they they could spend a couple of years away from New York in Philadelphia in a bit of a tighter community, I would imagine. Um, at Wharton, I've not experienced the Columbia community, but I imagine there's quite a few people at Columbia that you know already have their networks established in in New York and. You know, a sort of, you know, it, it just creates a little bit of a different dynamic, right? If people are staying in their city for their MBA rather than moving to a new city. And most people going to Wharton are moving to a new city right? Um, for their MBA. So, so there's a little bit of a difference there. As you noted, they said that they don't have any scholarship anywhere, but um, Columbia typically reveals that in February. So they might actually have something from Columbia. 
And if they do, then I think it's a bit more of a, a debate. They want tech or early stage VC. Um, so I do think that that leans in the favor of, of Wharton. Um, and yeah, I, I would agree with the folks on, on Decision Wire, unless Columbia comes in with a big offer um, in, in February. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that struck me was they, they talk about size and alumni network. And, you know, I think Wharton and Harvard are really the two monsters when it comes to the size of the alumni network globally and, and just the reach. And, and yeah, so I, I feel like if that's a factor, again, Wharton probably gets a point um, in favor. I, I do want to um, just encourage this person as they're thinking about it to try, I, it's really hard, but to try to ignore the sort of inertia that probably comes with the fact that they live in New York already and that the, it's, you know, so it would be easiest, you know, they could probably stay in their same apartment or maybe move uptown, but it, it would be probably easy <laughs> to stay. Yeah. Um, and that's probably what part of what's motivating them. And I, I think, you know, Columbia has a fantastic, as I've been saying, you know, ever since I went and visited, they have, you know, amazing facilities now. So that problem has been solved and they have their kind of a new little campus that they're, um, you know, have been building and, and, you know, working up, uh, in that Manhattanville, uh, part of New York city. So I get that it's, um, you know, this is not a, an, an obvious thing, but it, yeah, I would encourage them to go to the welcome events for these programs. And I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I think, you know, the issue with Philadelphia and Wharton is that there's barely anyone from Philadelphia who's in the program. There's usually a few, you know, a few students each year, but so that creates this great kind of close knit. Everyone's here discovering a yeah. new place together kind of vibe. So in any event, um, yeah. So I think Wharton's in the lead here, especially if we start talking about venture capital and um, you know, some of that stuff and, and tech uh, I, I think it's, yeah, it's sort of a, it gives them the edge. So that's my take. I agree with what's been said on, on decision wire. The congratulations to this candidate. I mean, no, no small feat to get into Columbia, MIT and Wharton. Uh, and so it's a nice, what do they call it? Champagne problems, right? Trying to decide between, <laughs> between these three yeah. great, uh, programs, but I wish them the best of luck as they try to figure it all out. Uh, and Alex, anything else you had on this one? No, I think, like you said, it's a great problem to have, but yeah, yeah, I would lean just slightly toward Wharton in this case. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so um, stay tuned, everyone. We'll be back in one week's time to chat again and, and go go through some candidate profiles. Uh, Alex, thanks for doing this, and I'll, I'll see you next week. Very good. Good luck, everyone. Stay safe.